Welcome to Deleted Saves. On this episode, The Last of Us Remastered on PS4. It is rare that a game comes out that so polarizes a fan base and has a lot of opinionated wannabes and hangers on, while at the same time being critical and commercial darling in the field of games and media that share the same basic story plot. Society crumbles due to mass infection, and humanity has to reckon with the idea that, at heart, we are just another form of vicious animal and are really incurable shitheads. Nothing like striking while the iron is cold, eh? Well, begin as you mean to go on, as they say. Let's dive into my thoughts on 2014's The Last of Us Remastered. Up front, this isn't really one of my we-need-to-talk episodes, because none of my concerns are centered on the game itself, which, for the most part, is competent as a piece of media. Not great, but competent. My concern is that the game will become more than it should in the eyes of far too many people who really, really should have shut their fucking mouths and moved on with their lives with the understanding that there are far too many real-world problems continuing to go unaddressed and unresolved while fans and public discourse bicker about a fucking video game. I'll be spoiling things in this episode. So if you haven't played it, or have seen the show, or been on the internet since 2013, then eat shit, because this is episode is not for you. First off, as far as the developer goes, I've had little history with Naughty Dog Studios or the games they have produced over their years of operation. I never played Crash Bandicoot. I played Jack and Daxter 2 and 3 and enjoyed them, but never really had them stick with me. And I played one hour of Uncharted 4 and thought it was a crap version of Indiana Jones and left it at that. So I have not been a fan of the studio, but I don't think something like that matters. The subject of a game should matter to you as a player, not who made it. So in the wake of the debut of The Last of Us, I really had no idea who Neil Druckmann was or why he culturally significant or relevant to the game. And I get the idea, he, as he is company co-president, he really isn't. But since his name has been attached to this game and related projects, and he has shown up so much in media around this game, that he has become the media spokesman for it. This also goes for the Todd Howards, David Cages, Phil Spencers, and Hideo Kojimas of the world. Perhaps I'm incorrect about this, but I'm usually not interested in whatever dancing monkey a company pushes forth to take the praise or blame for a product. All I will say on this point of why this dude is involved as opposed to anyone else is this. Neil Druckmann gives me really big aging frat boy energy. He seems like the kind of guy who would hire underage prostitutes to jerk him off with fistfuls of $100 bills, but that's not really germane to the game itself. I guess he was just the loudest fuck in the boardroom that day. No one cares if you don't listen to the haters, Neil. You're not worth being listened to at all. But to the nature of the game itself, when I heard of it, intrigued me because of my history with gaming. It's a post-apocalyptic story with some sort of zombie trait. I love the story like that. I am, at heart, a pessimist and skeptic of the human condition. I deeply and profoundly believe humanity's time in the spotlight is long over, and we have done little to nothing to pull ourselves back from the brink of our own self-absorbed lives and the brink of our own destruction. 
Whatever formative horseshit we do in public now to be inclusive, non-inclusive, eco-friendly, pro or anti-corporate, hate speech, love is love, whatever the hell turns your motor for you or is your personal bugbear, it is just as I stated, an act and an act of self-delusion. And it is time the whole of the human species met its end. So crushing end of the world tales speak to me. And no, I'm not interested in your opinion or some overpaid chuckle fuck pundit's opinion otherwise, person who may be typing a response now. This ain't your show. So why did I not play this in 2013 when it first debuted to glowing critical and commercial success? Because I did not own a PS3. It was just me and my Xbox 360 because at the time, that was the system that had the games I wanted to play. That changed when the console generation changed. And I got a PS4 because that system had the games I wanted to play. No deeper a thought than that. So it was cool that there was an update to The Last of Us so I could finally play it and see what all the fuss was about. I loaded the game up and started it. It begun with a scene of low-key humanist destruction. So already in the right direction. And at the time, the TV series The Walking Dead had premiered in 2010, so popular zombie fiction was again in our midst. And the time was ripe for a game like The Last of Us to do well. Here's a hint, dear listener. Keep that reference in mind. I'll be bringing that back up much later. Then we soon pick up the reins of a young teenager, Sarah. Up way past her bedtime on a school night, who is waiting for a single parent dad, Joel, to come home. We don't know what Joel does for a living. Possibly construction, but possibly sketchy side hustles as well. But it would seem he works with his brother, Tommy. And when Joel comes home far too late, he is discussing some sort of issue around a job with Tommy. Now, we could say this is bad parenting, but I've spent the last few years teaching middle school in a disadvantaged neighborhoods in a largely economically disadvantaged American school district, by which I mean just another or far too many of them nationwide. And many of my students have stories of mom and or dad working sketchy side jobs and in poor conditions to make ends meet, usually in slave servitude to the rich in society or to our many corporate overlords. So I understand Joel right away in that capacity. Joel and Sarah have a touching scene and she drifts off to sleep. Now, there are hints in the background so far that something is happening globally that should be setting off all sorts of red flags, but ecological disaster on a global scale hasn't happened in Austin's suburbs just yet. So this truncated nuclear family is going along the best they can. However, a few hours later, the dam, as it were, bursts. Sarah awakens to her father missing at two in the morning, and it is obvious outside by the social upheaval and the explosion something has gone wrong. When Joel does return, he is in a panic and wielding a firearm, telling Sarah to stay away from the window, when the elderly next-door neighbor, who is obviously mad or sick with some sort of rabies gone wild, bursts through the sliding glass door and Joel shoots him dead. From there, it is a mad dash to the truck where Tommy awaits, and the three fly through the countryside heading towards Austin avoiding vehicles out of control, passers-by begging for help, or the remains of human beings attacking any other outside person they can get to with tooth and nail. God damn, we are off to a start. The trio crash into a small downtown outside the main city, and Joel must carry his daughter the rest of the way as her leg is broken. We, as the player, control a leaden Joel as he runs through hordes of rapidly transforming citizens, while Tommy runs interference until he reaches an army checkpoint. The poor private on duty, in full hazmat suit and automatic rifle, 
gets the order to shoot to kill anyone who approaches, sick or not. And he opened fires on Joel and Sarah. While he misses Joel, Sarah is hit directly. And while Tommy executes the private, Sarah dies in Joel's arms in a big heart-wrenching moment. It is at this point I must tell a weird side story. I watched a number of streamers play this game, and most people who streamed the game got teary-eyed or choked up at this scene. I did too, I'll admit. But one streamer I watched actually laughed at this scene and said to his Twitch audience, what? I don't know these people. They aren't real. And he did something stupid. Why shouldn't I laugh? So keep that thought in mind too, if you get upset about anything I say. Not everyone agrees with you or me. Anyway, we move 20 years into the future. Joel now lives in the few, one of the few fortified centers of humanity left in Boston. Tommy is missing, and everyone has complicated post-traumatic stress disorder. Smuggling and martial law are the orders of the day. And even as we pass the military who runs this complex, they are publicly executing people found to be infected. Joel is a smuggler now, maybe something he was familiar with in the before times, trying to get goods from the destroyed world into the city so folks can enjoy them. They work, vaguely, with a group of so-called freedom fighters called the Fireflies, who, I guess, vaguely oppose this new post-apocalyptic government. Somehow. Look, it's not very clear. Other than Fireflies' tyranny is better than government tyranny. And we now know what hit us. A plague called Cordyceps. A fungus that takes aggressive control of its hosts and turns them into killing machines. Now, this is based on a real thing. There is a fungal affliction among ants that basically turns them into zombies but with the ultimate goal of putting the hosts into an area where the fungus can grow, not turn them into cannibal monsters. But that doesn't make for good Hollywood. But anyway, zombies. Good old George Romero zombie apocalypse, but with mushrooms. Joel is just trying to live his life when his friend, co-partner, girlfriend, fuck buddy, lady friend, who works for the Fireflies, directly tells him a job that could change everything. He just has to smuggle a girl out of the city. A child Sarah's age when she died. Dun, dun, dun. They take the job. And along the way, this disagreeable brat and her even more cranky guardians escape through the Boston suburbs, dodging military goons and fungus zombies alike. It is revealed that Ellie, our smuggled goods actual name, is infected with the fungus plague, but she hasn't turned. Turns out, haha, she's immune somehow. And the Fireflies believe, through plot means, that she can help generate a cure and return humanity to the top of the food chain after 20 years in decline and return everyone to their regular lives of carpools and Starbucks. Okay, sure. Along the way, the lady friend is bitten and decides to commit suicide by army goon. Joel and Ellie meet Bill, hardcore survivalist and one of the better-done characters in the game, and find out the head of the Fireflies named Marlene, who is supposed to meet them and take Ellie all the way to the Firefly headquarters in Salt Lake City, which in a world without large-scale commercial transport is now several months' journey, has disappeared. And Joel comes up with a brilliant plan to find his brother Tommy, last known location to be Wyoming, to help because Tommy was a Firefly once. What continues from there is just a grim death march towards the game's end, with crafting minigames and zombie and bandit shooting fun in between, as Joel and Ellie bumble from death trap to death trap across the United States. First to Pittsburgh, then to Jackson, Wyoming, then to the Colorado outskirts, and into Salt Lake City. Along the way, Joel and Ellie bond like father and daughter, and they make all sorts of friends, 
most of whom die either by Joel or Ellie's hands, or by accident while adventuring with these two like they were the Grim Reaper's assistants. Where we get the viewer to get to witness child death, suicide, mayhem, murder, a weird religious sex cult, and get to hack a pedophile to death during a game of cat and mouse in a burning diner. Oh, and there's a bit where you get to pet a giraffe. How cute. But in Salt Lake City, we finally meet the true military wing of the Fireflies and see Marlene again as Joel awakens in a hospital after being knocked out for the umpteenth time. And we learn the whole point of this plot behind this post-apocalyptic cross-country jamboree tour that Ellie, consent vaguely alluded to, will be sacrificed medically so her brain can be extracted and, hopefully, a cure or at least a vaccination can be found. You see, the problem is the fungus plague takes root in the base of the brain. So somehow Ellie, having her brain removed for Marlene, like Marlene was a mushroom souffle-loving mind flayer, D&D reference, look it up, will give science the answer it needs, which is a rich fucking statement since organized science and medicine have been gone for 20 years now, and everyone has been surviving off of whiskey-soaked rags to bind bullet wounds and hoping their appendixes don't burst randomly. This, of course, sets off Joel's CPTSD, especially when guns get flashed, and he goes off on a mad race through the hospital, full of 20 years of repressed grief and blind fury, killing firefly goons. And remember, these tyrants are better than other tyrants because they'll be benevolent, of course, don't you worry. And he kills the doctor who was to perform this Hail Mary pass of an operation, and, of course, guns down Marlene, too. Whereupon Joel escapes with an unconscious Ellie, and when she wakes up, they are back in Wyoming, and about to enter Tommy's survival commune. Ellie asks what happened, and why she's still alive, and Joel flat out lies to her, saying it was all a trick, and there was no hope. End game. As the credits rolled, I sat for a long time with this game, and all that had happened, as I'm sure many did. My thoughts afterward were summed up exactly like this. Man, I hope they don't make a sequel. It would really kill the momentum and conclusion of this game and what it was trying to say. But if they do, they'll have to kill Joel. It's the only place the story can go. Well, womp, womp, womp. Don't screenwriters credit for me. Somebody better pick up that phone because I fucking called it. The Last of Us is a well-done story. It's competent. There are far better apocalypse tales out there, and quite a few more fun. But it does what it does well. It's not great, but here we are. Because at its heart, The Last of Us is not a story about zombies, as no good zombie story is, after all. The monster is just a catalyst. It is a story about humans, us, and how fucked up we are, and how thin the veneer of civilization is. We are the monsters underneath our morals and obligations and laws. I'm sure someone out there just wondered aloud what 101 college philosophy course I got that gem from, and to you I say, go fuck yourself. Just because it's trite does not mean it isn't true. And the script didn't do any better or an outstanding a job in saying the same thing. The game concluded with a vague point, which I think was the best thing it could have done, allowing us to question our own role in this, because don't forget, Joel is a character in a game and can do nothing without player input in a story not wholly our own to tell. And that should have been it. Let me say this again. That should have been it. We did get some DLC in which we find out how Ellie got infected prior to the game, and that she is a lesbian, which players ood over like middle schoolers hearing something naughty. 
Okay, cool. Representation is a very good thing. And in our current climate, just being who you are as a person and being allowed to exist is a death sentence for most. But that, too, is not germane to the story at large, especially since she's a kid, which is more important in this story, as she will have to survive against all odds. And it is a neat side story, which was actually necessary, as it turns out. And again, that's where it should have ended. And for a while it did. Critics and players loved it. It's listed as one of the greatest games of all time. I mildly disagree with that, but that doesn't detract from its successes. And they re-released it. Awesome. I finished it and went on my way. It was a third-person, over-the-shoulder spectacle game fashioned after the success of Resident Evil 4, like so many of its generation was. And it was a good end-of-cycle PS3 game. Or had it been released on the Xbox 360, would have been a good end-of-cycle game for them. I enjoyed my time, as much as anyone in this grim, hopeless tale, and I didn't feel the need to return to it. And had the world not happened, I would conclude there. From here, well, this is where I go a bit off script with the general game consensus. Believe it or not, most games, The Last of Us is one of them, don't need to be franchises. We get them, but most don't need that, even for games I love. Recall when I said this game came out during the midst of The Walking Dead fame? To be honest, I dropped off that series hard after the middle of the second season. I don't watch TV much. I lost interest in that medium sometime around 2003, and movies for me didn't survive much beyond 2008. I'm not a huge media consumer. I don't care for fandom or fan bases or anything as they are usually highly toxic nor am I not hanging on the comings and goings of actors or celebrities or shows or what have you. If you enjoy it, cool, but it's not my thing. I like stories that end, clearly and definitively. The Walking Dead, which I am damn sure The Last of Us took quite a few inspiration from, has a killer first season in six episodes, ends on a bittersweet note with our survivors wandering off to live their lives in this new world order, and that was good. The fact that the motherfucker went on for 11 seasons, with spin-offs added, just absolutely screwed the pooch for me. But I also prove the American people's hunger for guaranteed, runs-like-clockwork, same-old-same-old entertainment, and the American media industry being willing to provide it and make big bucks off of it. The Last of Us could have learned the thing that bucked the trend, and been the thing that bucked the trend. Learning its lesson from the excesses of The Walking Dead, end it where it did, and off we went. But it didn't. Neil Druckmann and company felt there was more money to be made, more milk to come out of that particular cow, and we got a sequel, and now a franchise too. I can't really comment on The Last of Us 2. I watched a Let's Play of the game to see if I would like it before spending money on it. I watched the game's footage for a while, past the point of a giant spoiler for those who did not play that game, hint, I fucking called it, in which Joel dies, as I knew he would have to. I wasn't really shocked or surprised that happened, but fuck me, that's where public conversation lived and died. I'll get back to that. But I kept watching after that point, and after a while I realized I was bored. The game was a rehash of the first game, down to the same mechanics and plot points. No, this was the sequel I didn't need, and we didn't need, and it was not for me. I know lots of people enjoyed it and found some sort of, what, hope, catharsis, life-affirming, whatever? Perhaps they found themselves in this game, and that's fine. But I'm not one of them. I was done. 
But the public discourse was just a fucking shit show, as it often becomes when humans and their strong opinions get involved. Toxic as hell, and it still is. No one gives a hot fuck what your hot take on a fictional character is, you fucking halfwits. Joel died simply for story convenience and to fulfill the dictates of the hero's journey, because that's shocking twist 101 in the writer's handbook. That's all. We've seen this before in media. What Ellie does after that is almost pointless as an exercise that we could have dozens of go-nowhere arguments about, just like how the first game ended and its divisiveness. But now, you couldn't discuss the first game without the context of the second game and the shocking twist, and which side of the fence you got to be wrong on. There's no way to refer to this dramatic unreality in realistic terms, but one of the tentpoles of The Last of Us was grief and trauma. And what happens when you act on an animal level in an environment in which therapy doesn't exist and it is dangerous to let your feelings out a grief loss? Was Joel wrong for killing the doctor who was about to butcher a child survivor like a hog on a wing in a prayer for maybe cure? Who knows? Why did Marlene of the Fireflies think child murder for a possible cure was the solution? Who knows? You're trying to make sense of insane motives. For a man who had suffered, as so many did for 20 years, and blew up when a surrogate daughter was in danger, in a world where your PTSD is only held in check by the even worse PTSD of the absolute nut job squatting in the reclaimed McMansion next to yours while avoiding a police state and mushroom monsters, and an organization who believed deeply that they were to be saviors. Let's say they made a cure from head cheese duelli. What world would we be going back to? Government bureaucracy, environmental degradation after the Earth had already begun to reclaim her own, gang war, racism, corporate excess and greed, with the fireflies and their homegrown terrorism in the lead? Ask the Native Americans and the slaves how well that one worked out when the terrorist, I mean revolutionary spirit, of the founding fathers won and forced the British government out. What lesson did we think the end of the world was supposed to teach should we be able to return to the before times? And did no one think maybe <laughs> we could just study Ellie for a while, see what happens as she gets older? Yes, making her a lab rat would still be a prison term for life, but was a death sentence on a whim better? Likely no. She would not have liked it, but what if she consented to having kids? If we could argue that she can give consent to give her life, she could consent to being monitored to see what happens with this infection as she matures as is not killing her or her offspring. If the doctors could do surgery in this world, they could perform IVF, and she could stay with a female partner. But still, not a choice, really. No one made the right decision here. Joel was wrong. Marlene and the Fireflies were wrong. Ellie was really unable to give proper informed consent because of her age and maturity, regardless of what you think. Remember, there are elected officials in some U.S. states in the real world who think if a teen under 16 says it's good enough for them to marry, they can be. But really, is informed consent even a thing in a world that has been reduced to some sort of enlightened tribalism? And the whole clusterfuck ending of The First Last of Us is now directly affected by the piss-poor discourse around its sequel and the revenge plot and how wrong, wrong, wrong everyone was. I mean, fuck everybody. Y'all are wrong on every angle here. The sad fact that it's all anger and emotion, not reason civil disagreement. Many people were just pushing their weak personal agendas and being dicks online because of it even attacking the actors who got paid for a role. God, maybe humanity should end. Are we also making the mistake of applying our current morals and ethics from a position of safety to a time and a place which we are thoroughly divorced from or not associated with as the basis of these counterpoints? 
as we so often do with history? I'll let you think about that one. Also, playing post-apocalyptic games in a post-COVID world, as a sequel came out during the pandemic, put new light on how truly disconnected we are from each other as a society, and often reality, even before we were forced to spend a few years indoors. And you cannot have civil discourse about either game, with two sides yelling some form of either they killed my video game daddy, or Abby or Ellie did nothing wrong, in the same tone in which the names Abby, Ellie, and Hitler become interchangeable. Jesus. As a side note, I didn't watch the show. I know well that it did well. People liked it. Dumb fuck critics once again bandied their narrative about the quote-unquote broke the curse of bad video game TV or movie properties, an idea that only exists in the same watery realm where the Loch Ness Monster lives and where other figments of the fucking imagination exist, and people love the LGBTQ plus representation. Cool. That's about all I know, and that's where it will stay. But is The Last of Us worth your time in 2023? Naughty Dog thinks so, and they have released it yet again, putting them in the same class as Bethesda or Rockstar Studios, with how often they re-release the same game. However, despite corporate greed, yes, the game is worth your time, as a one-time and never-to-be-returned-to game and story. There is nothing better to be learned here. Just that the world ended, maybe it could have been fixed, maybe not, but people acted naturally and not heroically in an environment where we are at the end of our days, as we should be. Most stories can be reread or replayed or rewatched for enjoyment, but this is not one of them, not for me anyway. You know how it all ends, all the twists are unfurled, and it sticks with you for a while. Yet there is value in its story, even if the gameplay is something you have done a thousand times before, and by now it is clunky as shit, and they added multiplayer deathmatch to it like an infected extra toe. I know nothing I say is going to sway hearts and minds. People have already expressed their opinions on this game all over the world, much like the way one expresses a dog's anal glands. Your arguments won't sway me either. But I will say this, The Last of Us is competent. I was there for it when it was a shooting and sneaking past zombies horror game, which is kind of my thing. The human misery guts drama I wasn't there for so much, and the game leans heavily into the latter. So I was kind of over it by the end. But the discourse around it is batshit. If you can make peace with the former and discard the latter, you will have a decent time. I did, for both, and it worked. Once, anyway. And like being bitten by a rabid animal, once is all you need to get infected. Thank you for listening. Deleted Saves would like to thank Brad, Keith Gasper, and Mast Lama for being patrons of the show. If you would like to become a patron of the show, please go to patreon.com and check out Deleted Saves podcast. All donations go directly towards maintaining the show itself. Thank you.